Here we are in the third session on Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, looking again at how redemption works in the three steps or the three phases or the three dimensions of its effectiveness. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And you remember we said redemption was release by payment. And that it is redemption from sin and guilt through forgiveness. That's what we looked at last time. And that it is also redemption from all future defects, culminating in the resurrection of the body and the experience of everlasting, pain-free, sin-free joy in the presence of God. We saw that, for example, in chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there's a future day coming in which our redemption, which right now is experienced mainly as the removal of God's wrath and the experience of forgiveness, but which will be completed in the future when our bodies are redeemed, and we saw that in Romans 8.23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So when Paul speaks here in Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption, and names the first phase or the first dimension of this redemption, namely forgiveness of our trespasses, we need to ponder the whole thing. Namely, this redemption is not just the forgiveness of our trespasses and then we all die and rot in the grave. No, this redemption includes the glorious coming day of redemption, which includes the redemption of our bodies at the resurrection. So my question in this session is, how does the blood of Christ and the riches of grace, which are two of the three prepositions, in him we have redemption, through his blood we have redemption, according to the riches of grace we have redemption, and I want to see how the blood of Jesus and the riches of grace secure the future redemption of our resurrection. So God, I pray that you would show how Christ and the riches of the grace that are in him secure not only our present enjoyment of no condemnation and freedom from our trespasses and our guilt through forgiveness, but also the coming day of redemption in which all the defects will be taken away, psychological defects, physical defects, moral defects, and we will be catapulted into 
a glorious future in your presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The key to discovering how the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the riches of grace secure our future redemption is to look at the context of the verse we just looked at where our resurrection bodies are called redemption. So let's follow the train of thought. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. That's the completion of the whole gift of adoption. It's already begun now. We are the children of God, but it will be completed later. Adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this groaning is cancer and arthritis and uh, all kinds of diseases and maladies that cause us to waste away and then die. And we're groaning, waiting until that's all behind us and we have new bodies because of release by payment. We do not know what to pray. He says in verse 36, we do not know what to pray. That is, we don't know whether to pray sometimes should we be healed of these groanings or or endure these groanings. We're, We're often at a loss of what the sovereign will of God is. We don't know how to pray, but we do know. And that's a good literal translation of adversative con- contrasting with what we don't know. We don't know often what to pray. Here's what we do know. We know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then he gives the ground of that absolute assurance that all things are going to work for our good. For those whom he foreknew, and now we're into familiar territory in Ephesians 1. This is election, we argued. He foreknew, he predestined. What's our destiny in this text? Our destiny is to be conformed to the image of his Son. And I'm going to argue conformed in moral and spiritual perfection, as well as, as it says in 1 Peter 3.21, we will be given a body like his glorious body. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, He also called. This is how this destiny is going to be brought about. This destiny of being conformed to the image of his son, including new bodies, which correspond to this redemption of our bodies. Those whom he predestined, he called. God is moving now to make this happen. He called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Now that glorification is the redemption of our bodies. This is a big part of our glorification. And that glorification is the ground of the assurance that all things are going to work together for our good, a good defined as conformed to the image of the Son, including the Son's glorified body. Keep going. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, now this is crucial, 
In other words, when Jesus shed his blood and the payment for our release from sins was made, God removed all wrath from his own heart toward us and all guilt in our heart and all hostility in our heart towards him. And so God is now no longer wrathful towards us in Christ. He is totally for us. This is incomparably wonderful. If you get this and live this, you will be the freest of all people. He is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? That is, who can successfully keep this from happening? Keep this from happening. Keep this from happening. Answer, nobody. Nobody can keep God from accomplishing what he aims to do for us, namely glorify us and give us redeemed new bodies and work everything together, all things for our good. Now, here is the absolute, unspeakably great ground of the assurance that redemption future is based on blood past. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up. Now that means death. That means blood. That is first, I mean, Ephesians 1, redemption through his blood. So we're asking, how does redemption by blood secure the future redemption? And here's the logic. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up in death for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? All things. The logic is this. If God did not hold back from doing the hardest thing imaginable, namely, offer up the infinitely precious and valuable and perfect and innocent Son of God from spitting and nails and whipping and shame and mockery, if he didn't spare him but gave him up for us, if he went to the bottom for us, then now, since all wrath is removed and all guilt is removed and all hostility in our hearts is removed, then this rhetorical question here becomes a promise. He will most certainly with him graciously give us all things. Wouldn't you agree? That's what that rhetorical question is meant to say. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Well, he will. He will most certainly graciously give us all things. So the all things. I'm going to use so many colors, you're going to get mixed up. The all things here is secured by giving the Son, and therefore the redemption, can't spell it, redemption, the payment by, the, the release by payment, that redemption 
right here, secures all things. That all things is this all things that work together for good. That good is conformity to the image of the Son. That conformity to the image of the Son includes glorification. That glorification includes the redemption of our bodies, and therefore the redemption of our bodies is grounded in the death of the Son. And therefore, when it says back here in Ephesians 1-7, we have redemption through his blood. This blood secures not only the forgiveness of our trespasses, but all things that we need in order to glorify God and do his will, which includes new bodies.